is this taming of the ego. Like the ego is a crazy thing, right? Like I mean, the ego is what gets everyone in trouble, like yeah. no doubt. But what fascinates me with the ego is that the ego, in my uh, personal experience, is built solely on insecurity, right? Like the the more insecure I am, the bigger my ego and that, you know, fear reaction gets. And I think that, that um, that's one of the craziest things Ever, you know, how, how does somebody come across as being arrogant and self confident who's filled with insecurity? Like, you know, it's like when yeah. your your parents used to say they just make fun of you to make themselves feel better. And it's like, how is that? But when you think about social media and you think about kind of consumerism, like all this stuff, there's no better ego feed. Yeah, everybody looks better in pictures. Everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, like everybody can write eloquently if they can go back and have the ability to edit. I don't have the ability to edit what comes out of my mouth right now. I should work on that. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. So listeners and viewers, Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. You can either watch or listen to this. And if you need more information, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. You can find out information on our guests, download their episodes, watch their episodes, and see great guests like <laughs> Brenton Payne. How are you doing, my you friend? You don't have that applause button? What happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only wish I had that. For sure. I only yeah, wish yeah. I had that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you joining us here today. Well, thanks for having me. Thank Absol- you. Absolutely. So my, uh, my father-in-law, when I first started this thing, said I had to tell a joke. Mm-hmm. And he sent, since we started this, said, your jokes are a lot cleaner than what I expected them to be. <laughs> but you, coming from the background that the audience will get to hear about, I thought this would be appropriate. Who is the leader of the Kitty Communist Party? Mm-hmm. I have no answer. I'm not sure, Jeremy. Chairman Meow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good, clean one. Yeah. As my son is my, uh, I got to give props. My, uh, my younger one is t- turning from 12 to 13 today. So it's his birthday. So today, yeah, that's a good clean one for him. Yeah. For moving into teenage years, which now that doesn't exist anymore. Clean jokes, right? No, you know, no, no, from no. From a seventh grade mind. So uh, happy birthday, John Ellis. <laughs> yep. I want to say that. So thank you for starting us off so cleanly and, you know, uh, ethically. I guess right. That's what right. I'm yeah, yeah. Now, John Ellis, you might want to go ahead and hit the pause or stop button because yeah. no telling what's going to come out of dad's for mouth sure. from here. For right? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for having me. And thanks for, uh, for doing this. I know that, um, I don't know how you, you got to doing this, but, uh, I've come to really enjoy podcasts just because I think it's like essentially the last morsel of time people have is to just sit and listen to things. And, uh, I think it's great that you did it and you kind of, you know, like geared up and, and got the guts to do it. Cause it's not, it's not an easy thing. You know, I was nervous before coming on here and I think that probably doing the show took a little bit of going over the edge a little bit. So good on you for doing this stuff for sure. Well, you know, first off, it doesn't seem like there's anything when we, when Joe exotic is the most trending thing on TV, mm-hmm. the lion King, mm-hmm. um, what we've learned is there's really just nothing of value to watch on TV anymore. And you can't even go to a movie, right? Because sure. Hollywood aren't putting out any movies. Theaters right. are shutting down or have been shut down. And so 
and the listening. And uh, and and my wife has been a big podcaster for a long time. Oh, she yeah. listens to murder stories, right? Yeah. Now, so yeah. here's the funny part. She couldn't wait till the day I did an early retirement to get out of the police department, but all she does is listen to murder stories. Right? <laughs> but that may be by design. My wife watches the Dateline constantly, and it's like, are you trying to learn something here? You know, this is the how kids people are predators. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just—it's like how you know somewhere this is like very interesting for a reason. That kind of thing, so, man. It is, and it, and the thing is, is it's in a very censored controlled world and very skewed, right? Like yeah. you could take the same piece of information, put it on MSNBC and Fox News, and you're going to get two totally different transitions out yeah. of things, right? Yeah. So this is the one place where you could still be, uh, as you could call it, non-fake news, non-fake content, just mm -hmm. real stuff. And it was one of the reasons why we decided to do video. Yeah. It, it's because we wanted to add that video component to it in case someone it would rather watch this stuff on there. Well, and I think that it brings the conversation to life a little bit more, right? I oh, mean, yeah. you could, you don't know how much is being edited out. And then in this manner, you can only edit out probably so much in the flow of a conversation. So it yeah. does, I think, keep people um, in a bit of a live sequence, you know, to where they got to you know, actually communicate with each other face to face like this. And I mean, I don't know if we do that, you know, much anymore. It's funny you talk about those <laughs> shows though, because I was playing golf with a guy and he said, um, yeah, I mean, you know, at the beginning of all the COVID stuff and he's like, what are you going to do? You're going to sit around and watch Netflix all day. And I was like, he's like, you can't do that. And I totally agreed. I mean, if you look at some of the themes on some of those shows, like the hit shows, like, and I don't know, is it okay to name some? Of yeah, 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 dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, listen, like, uh, like, all right, listen, <laughs> we're not, we're not that cool yet, or we're like getting yeah. like paid gajillions of dollars sure. for sponsorships. I don't know how you can throw out yeah. whatever. But you look at things like, I mean, the first ones we watch, Ozark, Narcos, like all this, there's so much like betrayal in there. There's so much, there's this crazy dynamic and dark dynamic of like, families really doing really evil things and stuff. And it, it's true. It's like, you can't sit and watch Netflix all day and then go out into the world and say, Oh, I'm going to have a, a positive, good day. You know, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things on there. I mean, the documentaries are great and that kind of thing, but some of the shows that they've created that catch everybody that everybody's talking about, they deal with some really, really heavy themes in humanity. I mean, it's just, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And you think about these young writers out there and it's like, boy, what what happened in their lives, you know, to bring this stuff into the into the writings of some of these shows? So I always try to look at that kind of like the story behind the story. You know, it's just like what is behind the layer of this? And sometimes too much, but uh, you know, that's just the way my mind works. So, do you think some of these shows are an accurate story of some of the things going on in the world right now? Yeah, I always question that, right? You know, you're like, how much is truth and how much is fiction? Um, because kind of coming from the world that I come from, uh, you know, and kind of where I've been the last almost 20 years uh, in politics, you've seen this rise of drama in it, right? Like drama, um, it it sells. I mean, people people love it, you know, and, and you could see that in um, working in politics as well. I mean, the excitement comes from not the bill that moves through the process that's good for everybody that everyone jumps on board on. It comes from where there's some real tension and some, some real differing views on that. It's, you know, it's back when the real world first came out, right? And mm -hmm. everything happens on the, the cutting room floor, but they, you know, that was the first kind of reality show of our generation, you know, 
you know, or that we watched it was like, oh, the real world. And you'd watch and wait in these episodes. And then, and really what they honed in on is like, let's get these people like super liquored up and let's get, <laughs> uh, and then let's get some drama going, you know, like people love drama and they love, they love just, you know, just fixate on it. So I do think that, um, as a reflection of the world, yeah, I mean, I sometimes question how much of that stuff is influencing the way we're acting or how much we're influencing by creating that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny you bring that topic up, uh, because, uh, alcohol for some people can either be what I call the true serum or asshole serum. Yeah. Both being the same, right? Yeah. You know, someone that doesn't really think that they're an asshole, but everybody else knows they are. But whenever they drink, it really comes out, right? Sure. And you're just like, hey, by the way, <laughs> that's who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. but, so you and I have known each other for about a decade. Mm -hmm. And we met up at the Fort Worth Club. I mean, just naturally how the Fort Worth Club is, you just get to know, I mean, there's only like 2,000 members of the club. And, you know, here in downtown Fort Worth, and you and I got to know each other over the last number of years. And then we also had friends that were in the same circles sure. and everything else. And then about, I want to say it was about four years ago, because you and I have had some pretty big bar bills up at the yeah. Fort Worth Club. Yeah, for sure. And for sure. one day I was like, let's go get a drink. And you're just like, well, I'll go join you. And I was... <laughs> I was like, would you get arrested or something? What yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> because there's always a story. Sure. Generally, yeah. people want to say there's a story. Right. And you said, you know, man, I, I just, I made a conscious decision that I wasn't, I wasn't going to drink anymore. Yeah. 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 So you jumped right into that, man. You know, like, <laughs> you're not going to let me explain my professional background or anything. I thought. No, that's nobody cares business. about that. Yeah, I just no. want to hear the good um, stuff. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so that's like. The alcohol thing, it runs hot in my family, real hot, like lineage is up, you know, and, and I think that looking at that and always knowing that, um, it was always like, yeah, I got to be careful, that kind of thing. And um, my wife and I just got to a point where it was like, is this, is this really working out? You know, our kids were getting a little bit older. And what I didn't realize what I was doing, it was like this real trickery for me was that I thought that I was alleviating something that I was actually creating more of an issue, you know, and it was, uh, it was like, yeah, but you know, um, it's kind of what they say about smoking cigarettes, you know, that you, you smoke and it calms you down, but really it's a stimulant, you know, the same thing. And it worked that way with a lot of the anxiety and things like that. And then I started realizing that, you know, I was going down to the, the gym there and I work out, work out like an hour a day, you know, and this and that. And it's like nothing was happening, you know, I mean, it was just, and then I started, I started kind of doing more of a study on it than anything else. And, um, really kind of reading about kind of the physiology of it as, as, along with the psychology of it. And there's a bunch of like great studies and stuff. But as you will know, I mean, it's not the trend, you know, it's not, not everybody's kind of doing it. Although I do see um, a, a little bit of more folks kind of saying, you know, maybe that is, maybe that is part of this, you know, there's so much information out there now and stuff like that. So it was really kind of timely. So, you know, we kind of decided to um, throw in the towel, if you will. And then, uh, like I said, it, it runs pretty hot in my family. Um, a year later, I got a call and I had seen my brother had been coming into town and we're super tight. And my, I have an older brother, I got a younger brother and uh, we just kind of always ran together. You know, we just always, and it was always partying together. I mean, we just really enjoyed it. And, um, were the guys who during the holidays would, you know, just love going to the, 
you know, to the restaurants together and the bars and stuff like that. But the times my brother, my older brother had come in and his, he looked kind of jaundiced. Like I was a little bit concerned about it. And then I got a call, like we were all supposed to go out to California, um, to get together and like five, six days before we're about the week before Thanksgiving, I got a call and that was my cousin who lives up in Denver with my brother. He's like, Hey, um, your brother's in the ICU. And I was like, Whoa, what's going on? So essentially my brother just kind of took a turn. Uh, and, um, he, you know, he has cirrhosis, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, so he pushed it to another limit and there was this real sense of gratitude and still is with me is like, you know, man, I know the way that I would have dealt with that had I not made my decisions a little bit before that, you know, when big dramatic things like that in life happen, you tend to to choose one way or another. And in those situations, it's really hard to, uh, to make that decision like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do away with booze, you know, because of what it did to my brother. So there is this aspect of all of this where it's like, you know, you do things, you don't necessarily know why you're doing them. You just have this faith that you're doing them. You're like, maybe this is just the way. And they're real hard to do. Like, it's not an easy deal. You know, um, I remember uh, there was a time when my younger son or my older son was upset with me. And he's like, you know, he's getting upset. And he's like, you know why, you know, this is why you don't have any friends. It's like, no, the reason I don't have any friends because I quit drinking four years ago. Okay. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> you got to understand this, buddy. it's not me, you know, it's this, this. So, um, no, but it was, it was really cool. So my brother's still alive. Like he, he pulled through that and I'm super grateful. I talked to him like every day and it's just, it's an awesome thing. Like, it's like, we're exploring this new world together. And a lot of that was fueled by where a lot of my energy source for it, man, I've been using resentment as a fuel source for a long time. And in politics, it, it is really good fuel source, right? And if you can use it and use it effectively, it will power you through the, um, the craziest of times. And so I'm really having to learn myself um, how to unwind that a little bit. Because what you realize as you're raising children, as you're trying to prolong a marriage, and my wife and I celebrated our 20-year anniversary uh, in, in May. It was a COVID anniversary. So, like, it was kind of good as far as, I, like, not a lot of pressure. You know, you can't do this huge trip, you know, during that time. So, um, I got a little bit of a pass right there. But, uh, but you see these things and you start, you know, really kind of going – what, you know, is the thing that I'm fueling myself on the best thing? Is it, is it really happiness? You know, is it, is it really like doing all this stuff and all these motions and like the drama of politics and da, 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 da. And it's like, is this really, is it getting me to a place? And so in a way, you know, the COVID stuff has kind of given me a real chance to step back and reflect, you know, and, and make me really grateful for what I have, like people in my life, like our friendship and a whole lot of friendships that really say, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing necessarily, as long as you're doing it and doing it with your heart and doing it as, as best you can. That's the way, in my opinion, things should work, right? Like when I go and go to lunch with folks and hang out with them and do these things, I do that because I enjoy being with them. It really doesn't matter to me that much how much they're making or not making and things like that. You know, I mean, everybody gets influenced by that to a certain extent. You want, obviously... Um, you want people to be doing good things for themselves and that kind of thing. But I think that what it really showed me was like, you know, there's a whole world of just being a good guy, you know, like just, yeah, like you can do that. Right. And yeah. I think in this time where we are, that 
somewhere needs to prevail. It's got to, it's got to push through kind of all this tumultuous, you know, craziness. Like, um, you know, that was the thing with my older brother. Uh, we had grandparents who were real influential in our life. And he, I had to speak at, and I chose to speak at my grandmother's funeral. I was like, and what do I say? You know, we're like going up to New York City. Like, this is a big crowd. Like, I don't know. He's like, just speak from your heart, man. Just be a good guy. You know, and it's really, if you're that, it kind of, the fear stuff goes away. You just kind of, it just kind of is like, well, if I'm being a good guy and everybody pretty much knows what being a good guy or got, like, then, then you do that. And I'm not saying that I'm always a good guy. Like I'm, not a good guy sometimes, you know, like, let's be honest. Nobody wait, has. Wait, wait, You mean to tell me that Imagine you're that. human? Yeah, right. So there's that human thing in there. You yeah. Know? Well, and it, so interesting enough, um, I end every one of my podcasts with, what would you go back and tell 22-year-old self? And yeah. so far, we haven't had anybody say the the same thing, which is really good because it's really candid answers. And and. Um, someone had asked me, he said, what, what is yours? Mm-hmm. I said, man, if I could go back and talk to 22-year-old self, it'd be not to treat my body like a septic tank, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. you feel like you're invincible, made a Teflon, and then you get to our age, you know, what, 50? Oh, for oh, sure. Oh, no. Yeah. Creeping up on me. Mm-hmm. And the body just hurts. Yeah. And then you start it, – it, it's really funny because at our age, you think about a lot of things that you would never thought you would ever think about, right? Yep. And, and so to your point of, you know, friends, you know, you're like, yeah, I don't have any friends because none of them were drinking. And, and, it, and it wasn't that you were uncomfortable around them. It's they were weirded out being around you. Right. So, and I've learned in the last year that there's really a lot of people in my world that in the last couple of years are just for no reason. I mean, it wasn't an arrest. It wasn't a DWI. It wasn't a health incident. It was just a conscious decision to go, man. I, I just, you know, I didn't understand what I was really getting out of it. And, uh, now this hasn't stopped me at all because Marine Corps birthday was this week. Mm -hmm. And trust me, I, uh, I I didn't take that advice that I would have given 22 year old self. Sure. Sure. (laughs) And, uh, um, but, uh, but one of the things that my buddy Mike said is he said, you know, and this is a guy that makes a ton of money. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he's probably lost more money than an entire city would ever make, right? Mm-hmm. And he just thought one day, how much money have I spent on alcohol? And he just kind of mm-hmm. started not even like mm-hmm. running the numbers, but just, yeah. you know, because you're, you're, especially, you know, when you're in the business world of lunches and drinks and dinners and wine and good scotches, bad oh, yeah. scotches and all that. And he, he just said, yeah, I looked at it and he goes, and it's not that I needed the money, but I just realized how much money I've probably spent in half a decade for on sure. alcohol, right? Yeah. 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 So that, that kind of came to me. Um, I had, so just real quick, you know, graduated from college, came back here, worked at an ad agency, um, had to go to Dallas, right? Like it was the dot com, right? Like I had to get out there. What I year mean, was this? Uh, this was like uh, late 90s, early 2000. Okay. So like around 99, about that. Go to Dallas, you know, big is GTE internet working, you know, 24 years old or 23 years old, whatever. And you need to go sell like million dollar products to these guys who are like 50 something years old. Oh, no problem. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have zero to share, you know, like, I mean, it just, it was a crazy time and I was going to Austin a lot for that. Um, and so, 
It was good though. It was a year and a half of like learning how that big corporation works, that kind of thing. Well, then the bottom drops, right? I mean, then, you know, there's 9-11, but even before 9-11, there started to be this significant slowdown with that. And yeah, so, when the dot-com bubble busted. Yeah, through. and we were yeah. selling like big T3s, like big internet lines and, and things like that. And so when that happened, I mean, everything just contracted. And so I kind of went for a period of time where it, like, like this COVID thing where it's like, whoa, what, like real self-reflective, what do you do now? You know, that kind of thing. And a friend of mine had been working in Austin who I had met up with, um, one of those trips that I went down for, uh, Genuity was the name of, it was GTE Internetworking. And, uh, he was working at the Capitol and he's working for a state Senator from the Arlington area. He said, and so he had just run this other guy's campaign here in Fort Worth. And he said, I ran the primaries. Like, do you want to run the general election? I was like, I mean, I don't need, like, I didn't know police chief to county judge. Like, I mean, it was like, what is the state center? Like I had zero clue. Like I was not, I went to a school where politics were pretty big. You know, uh, Winston Churchill spoke there, did the iron curtain speech. And I mean, that was like, that's cool. We can play Frisbee golf through the, you know, pieces of the Berlin wall. I mean, that's a hole on our little, so it really was not that frontal lobe for me. And, um, and I was like, I don't know. So we ended up, you know, he helped me out and I ran it. And then, um, the guy said, why don't you come down to Austin for a legislative session? And so I went down, uh, and I did the 2003 session and it was a lot like this se legislative session. We're about to go big budget shortfall, education, funding, looming this at the end of that session, I didn't stay for the special sessions, but, um, was when all those folks went up to Oklahoma and, you know, there's just a mm -hmm. big stalemate and the Republicans had taken the house and there's just, there's just a lot going on. And I was, I mean, at the end of the day, I am quite a curious guy and it was pretty uh, amazing to me that this whole world existed that I had no idea of, you know, cause I probably wear blinders a lot more than I think that I do. And so I learned a whole lot about politics being down there and, and things like that. And it was a rough session and there were those three special sessions. And so I got back up here and I went and started working for another legislator in the area and, um, and worked there for, uh, about three years. And then at that time, then the next cycle kind of started. The guy at the Fort Worth Chamber was leaving to go work for Chesapeake, Barnett Shale stuff. And then, so I took his place as the governmental affairs person at the Fort Worth Chamber, which was great. It was mm -hmm. like super network building. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. But the first thing, you know, that I sit down in a meeting that we're taking on is the police meet and confer issue because it had just been passed. That now, is that is that when... Um Meet and confer first came to yeah. the PD. So they just got the ability to go do that. Yeah. And it's like, hey, Brent, for, welcome to the new job. Yeah. You're going to go against all the police. For the listeners know. who, yeah. I mean, because they may or may not know what that yeah. means is what what is meet and confer? Their ability to uh, essentially negotiate their contract, right? Okay. And it gives them that ability. And it, it does, you know, it just, you know, gives a a playing field that some might say is not level, but the obviously police would say is level, you know, to go and do that. And the fire got collective. So all of a sudden. So I, collective bargaining, that's a different thing. Yep. That's for. The, so what's, what is, what is there's collective bargaining? Well, the meet and confer, some argue that meet and confer might be a little bit more stringent, like a little bit more teeth in it than a collective bargaining. Both are the ability for um, these groups to come and negotiate contracts with the, the city.
Gotcha. And so, um, and I don't want to. And get, is that something you know, that you can automatically get, or is that something taxpayers have to vote on that you have the ability to go do? Yeah, it's a legislative issue. That that, that yeah. And it, look, with all government things. You know, as slow as they are, and I'm a pretty impatient guy, there is a reason for them, right? And there is a reason that they sit out the way that they do. And there is a reason that we go and vote for them. I mean, it's civility, yeah. right? It's just that, like, this is a a way that this thing works so plenty of people can give their input. So he, he left, and I was like, this guy's a genius. Like, now I'm going against these you know, police groups and, and things like this here in our own town. And it was, mm -hmm. it was when the business community felt that the pension issue was really broken and that, you know, that we needed to. So, you know, I really at that time was like, boy, how am I going to manage that? And then that quickly, I wouldn't even, you know, it, it, it took its place in the history books. And then um, a big water issue came up. It was, we were staring right at the, uh, uh, we were in a drought for a long time. And the way that water works with the state of Texas and where the region we sit in and how we get water in big metropolitan areas and how do how, we How is it? So there's a lot of listeners that, you know, are, so are we're from all over in, the globe. I so think they it's make, 16 yeah. regions and we sit in a region that, um, we have agreements um, with East Texas, you know, as the water planning um, moves forward in the future, where we will get water from other areas. But the, you know, the folks here locally have done an incredible job of managing our water supply. And yeah. really, you know, conservation efforts have really taken way. And this, you know, not this huge ability or need for building giant reservoirs, you know? I mean, if, if you think about it, Texas has only got one natural um, lake. I mean, all the rest are dammed up. Which, which, rivers. which? I, which? I believe it's Caddo over in East Texas. I okay. mean, and so, um, so much, and, and water is still like looming on the horizon. Like, you know, you look at California yeah. and what's going on and you look at some other places. I mean, the, the, f you know, we've lost our attention to that with a lot of other, you know, in your face things, but water is still a really, a really big deal. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of water stuff and water law that goes around and things like that. And so, um, so it was really nice. I mean, I was able to learn a tremendous amount about that, about kind of economic development incentives, about education, you know, how it's funded. Like it, this whole thing has been this like wonderful education on stuff that, you know, a guy like me would probably never really be interested in. So you know? would, a, would a fair question be that the average citizen probably doesn't even have a clue of how much goes on behind the scenes to either Until gain now. and lose control of things like water and meet and confer and education and all this that there's a lot of assumptions of, oh, okay, well, this will just work itself out. And so there's actually a lot that goes behind it, right? If you think about where American society has been looking, which coast? Yeah. Everyone's been looking at the West Coast yeah, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Hollywood, what are the actors? You know, it took something, maybe the pandemic, maybe it was brewing and just, you know, with the presence. I mean, who knows what it did. But finally, people started looking to the East Coast and looking at D.C. and what's going on at a federal level and a state level. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to say I know all the reasons why this thing bubbled up the way it did. But what was you know, if you can, if you can look at what happened in the election recently, the optimism there is 
something like 1.2 million more people got out to vote in this state. I mean, our voting numbers for as great of a state as we're in and how well we take care of it, for, you know, compared to other states, we still had really low voting numbers, you know, like people getting out and voting, I think shows exactly what you're talking about is this, um, this awakening of, wait, I, I would like to kind of know what's going on here. I'd like to get a little bit more involved. And, and that, that cuts both ways. I mean, that, that cuts with not only the people who are against some of the things that government's trying to do, but it also goes with those who are trying to support it as well. Because, you know, what you really see very quickly is that, um, a lot of people will be incredibly outspoken on the things that they're not for, but very few people will say, I'm for this because I take this road to work every day and I get there 30 minutes faster than I would have, or because I, um, you know, have a fresh, reliable source of water every day. It's, it's real hard to get those supporters to do that. You so know? it's really, it's really interesting having a snapshot of what's going on outside the immediate barriers, right? And so for an example, I'm working on a deal with an agent out of Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she's from Belarus. And she and I were on the phone earlier this week. I, you know this about me, but I get up at four o'clock in the morning, not because I like getting up at four o'clock in the morning. Actually, I'm probably the least I asked person. this guy about that. I said, why do we get up so yeah. early? And he goes, fear. It's straight up fear. It's straight up fear. And I was like, no, yeah. I think it's because we're in. He's like, no, no it's, it's fear. Fear. Mm -hmm. Fear. No. It, yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> fear. Because that is exactly what it is, is if I don't get up at four o'clock in the morning and do my routine, by the time this phone starts blowing up at seven, eight o'clock, I'm never yeah. going to do all the things that I did before then. So it's the fear of not getting things done. But mm -hmm. part of that is keeping informed, right? I don't watch, I don't watch the news. I, I think that whatever channel you pick skews it towards the audience. Yep. And it can become a lot of times very much propaganda and hey, buy gold, right? Or whatever. Right, right. right. And so, but I keep myself very, very informed, and I have a number of publications that I, I read through, and one of them being Geopolitical Futures with George Friedman mm -hmm. out of Austin. And and I had just finished over the last couple of weeks reading a bunch of things on Belarus. So here it is, this agent, and then I find out she's from Belarus. And I was like, hey, man, y'all got a lot of things going on over there. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to tell me that they have restricted the ability – for public reporting that the only way she knows what's really going on is her friends that are posting things on Instagram. And she was like, and I don't even know how long they'll allow that to go on. You hear something like that and you go, wow, mm -hmm. like that still exists in this planet mm -hmm. that doesn't exist here. Now, regardless of what you want to call it, fake news, skewing the result, right? whatever, right? But there are places that you don't have the ability to exercise your vote. And if you did, they might just throw it away. Yeah. What a lot of people are accusing going on right now. Yeah. And, and that's the reality of areas in this world. Mm -hmm. and, but people are so in tune with what's going on within an arm's reach that they don't realize, yeah, there's a lot of frustrations of what's going on in our country right now. But mm -hmm. guess what? There are other countries that would beg to have our problems. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. exchange for what they're dealing with, right? Sure. Yeah, like, I mean, you look at how many people are still coming here, right? Like, I mean, of all walks of, like, from all areas of the globe, right? I mean, it's still, if you talk to folks who are not from here, you ask why. They're like, it's the best. Like, one time we were down um, listening, uh, we were in the, like, we were in Antigua and we were listening and I was like, the other plane is Bob Marley. Like you'd think that there would be more <laughs> like reggae, like since this guy like died back in like, you know, and I asked the guy and I was like, why Bob Marley? He's like, it's the best, man. Like, I mean, it's just the best. I mean, it's like our country, you know, it's yeah. just like, why do you need anything else? Like, wh- what's the problem? I mean, why Bob Marley? He's the best that's ever been, you know, it's the same with, I really do feel that way about this country. I mean, it's just, um, we have so many things, you know, to be so grateful for. And I'm just, I mean, Jeremy, I've not always been this guy, right? Like, I mean, uh, it used to be like, problem problem it's like that ants commercial you yeah. know it's, it's like expired expired i mean that's me you know it's just like oh this is a problem and my wife still gets on me every day like the complaints you know and it's just <laughs> like <laughs> i need a like complaint department in my house you know but it is this other thing where um if you step back and you look at it in just the things that i discussed and the ability to build things the way that we can still build them, the, you know, this state to have some open space still, you know, that yeah. exists. I mean, and, and, and really humanity. I mean, like I will say that, you know, I kind of touched on all the roughness and, you know, of the Texas legislature and you can feel it at the end of the session, you know, like you can, you go in, not many people want to hang out at the Capitol at the end of a legislative session when those bills are moving. Like there are little, little things that happen where, you know, legislators either don't give a bill, a committee hearing or things like, like just these moves that start bringing it into a more kind of tense environment. Cause I just kind of measure the emotion, you know, like I'm real emotional. So I just, do it that way. But on the other side of it, I mean, Texas does work together really well. Like, like Texans are are pretty amazing in the sense that they, they see things as a common challenge and they reach across. I mean, if you look at who's the uh, presumed speaker right now, I mean, he kind of reached across party lines and it was uh, more of a unification effort. And in my mind, I think that you know, a lot of the technology that we have and that we're using, as much as it was created for the good and to increase communications and things like that, um, you know, and I know it, I mean, I'm not saying that I put the phone down enough, but there, there is times, I mean, I most recently went to Austin and I actually just did put the phone down and I sat at the Capitol and just like, just sit, you know, just breathe the air. Like, mm-hmm. look, you know, I had a few minutes between me and it's just like, it's going to be okay. You know, just like, like, we're going to, you know, humans will rise again, you know, because I do, I mean, it's crazy, but I do think there's a little human versus technology going on right now. I mean, Man, I just, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more on this. And especially because I've been in over 30 countries. I lived in Romania shortly after the fall of Ceausescu. So when you have a lot of calling the progressives and like for any listeners out there, no one knows how I vote. Mm-hmm. They make assumptions. As a matter of fact, on election night, uh, I've got a group of guys that I hang out with, and they wanted to go watch. And they're big Trump guys, and they, you know, rah rah rah. And uh, one of my buddy Jeff goes, "Man, yeah," and and he says, "Wait a minute, you never really say anything." Mm-hmm. And I said, "No," and he goes, "But I know you voted for Trump." And I was like, "Maybe, yeah," and he goes, "Well." How did you vote? And I was like, well, does it matter? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it matters. And, you know, and I could see he was getting a little 
end up and I said, look, man, you think you know how I voted, but actually you'll never know how I vote. Yeah. And he said, why is that? And I said, because for me, this is a very personal thing. It's kind of like when the riots started happening, people knew I was a retired police officer Mm -hmm. and they were like, how do you feel? You know, what are your personal feelings towards all this going on? And my response was personal. Sure, I have opinions and I'm all for people that want to voice their opinions, Mm -hmm. but I think it should also be respected when someone doesn't want to voice their opinions, right? Sure. Is if I felt that me voicing an opinion would move the needle on something, then absolutely I would. But I I really feel with technology, Mm -hmm. right, is it's more of one way than it is two way of doing the things that you and I are doing right here, right? No one has conversations. I mean, I even see it with my daughter, right? Her and her friend are sitting on the couch and they're texting each other, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like you're within an arm's distance. Yeah, yeah. And it's taken away those learned skill sets that we got when we were younger, long before cell phones and everything else, that we learned to talk to each other. But technology is more, like when somebody makes a social media post, how many times are they really making it to see, hey, what kind of conversations can we get out of this? Most of the time it is, nope, this is my opinion and I want the world to see it. And if they don't agree with me, I'm going to unfriend them on Facebook or whatever, right? Yeah. Or like how many times does somebody say, I failed today? Yeah. Oh. Right? I mean, yeah. it's like, that's where the humanity side comes in. It's like, yeah. you know, and that was the thing is I think about college. I never would have graduated. If I had the internet in my room, I mean, yeah. it would like the ADD thing, whatever, you know, you yeah. want to call it like just like too much going on. And then I think about... um you know, in the Capitol, like that was when those first Blackberries came out. And I remember oh, yeah. the guy who um, worked for that legislator, he had one and it was the black, like there was no color. It was uh, just the, it wasn't even the blue ones at that time. They were yeah. the black, actually Blackberries. And I was like, with the little keyboards you? on actual keyboard. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. do you, and you couldn't get a text off or a message off fast enough for any response anyway. So it really was just, yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, you think about how much technology in our lifetime we've seen. I mean, I was, uh, you know, thinking about some of this influence on me of where this data stuff is really fascinating to me. Because in one sentence, I say humanity, technology, but in the other is this data and this craziness of how much data exists out there and how much there is to go through and, and do these things. But a lot of it stemmed from the movie Beat Street when – Double K, who was the DJ guy, had uh, uh, Radon Chong in his room, and he's he's mixing all of those things, right? And so that's what we're doing now in hyperspeed with information. I mean, always the music has been incredibly fascinating. I have a small collection of these MPCs, Akai MPCs, which are drum machines because you can sample and the way that these guys take other pieces of music and sample it, it's what's going on with data too. And what you quickly realize is if you leave a certain drum beat out, you're going to get a totally different sound and you're going to get a totally different audience around that sound. And, you know, the same thing exists with information. You, you know, if I took 150 house members in the Texas legislature and I left out two and then I showed you everything. I'm skewing that. So mm-hmm. this objectivity of data, it's 
it's like, well, wait a minute, you, you, you got to show it all, you, you know, to be it. And, and I started thinking about too, cause, um, you know, like everybody, the golden eras and growing up and in college is like, what changed, you know, when I was in college, I would go to my friends, you know, in between, um, like Christmas break and stuff. And we all kind of dressed the same and we kind of all drove American cars and we all kind of went to the same kind of neighborhoods and stuff. And I started doing a little research and I realized, well, one, um, the lending limits, like just went crazy at that time. Like all of a sudden everybody should deserve everything. Like we should all like, this was pre-tech, but it was like, we should have more money flowing through everything. And then the other thing was the advent of cable news. So all of a sudden the beginning begins, right? Like mm -hmm. all of a sudden you can watch news all the time, you know, you can listen to the kind of news you want. And these, the news started popping up, you know, like that little bit of bias that comes out. Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to just show you four legislators, not six, you know? I mean, if you think about it and you start watching these things, you are always asking, are you getting the whole story? And this is what fascinates me is because if you had somebody maybe who is totally against my views and points, I would invite you to bring them in, right? Like, I think that this should be done in this way. Yeah. So I want to ask you if you've seen this show and I, and I know the name of it. I'm just trying to, I, I just knew, uh, um, oh God, what was it? It, it was on uh, HBO uh, and it was called Newsroom. The newsroom, mm -hmm. right, uh, with Jeff Daniels. Did you ever see that? Uh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't think I right. saw it. Right. Yeah. So anybody that's seen the clip where they're doing like a three-panel deal, and then he goes into this, you know, what do you really think? And the girl asks a question, and he goes, look, just in case you accidentally find yourself in a voting booth, just know this. And he just rattles off everything, right? Yeah. Well, through the series, and um, so during, during COVID, right, is – our, we went from being empty nesters to our daughter being reinserted into our life, which mm -hmm. we love our daughter, but she didn't want to be there any more than we didn't want her there. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, I, right. and we don't mean that because we don't love each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had finally time, got yeah. her independence, and then we finally got our freedom, and then now it was this forced thing. So we watched the series, but on one of them, there's uh, an election going on, and he wanted to do a— no kidding. Hey, let's really do a panel. Yeah. Instead of one of these loaded, we're going to ask questions because it gears the conversation. And he goes into it and almost gets it where he could be the interviewer mm -hmm. to interview these folks to ask the real questions that nobody wants to talk about or what politicians become very crafty at is you ask one question and then realize you're talking about a different subject because mm -hmm. we're very crafty at that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody would know better than you at that. But I just thought, how interesting would that be if we, because of technology, we were able to get to a place where people would finally stop being scared enough to be candid enough mm -hmm. to ask the real questions, and then that the receiver of the questions would actually respond in a candid nature, too. Yeah. And I think that's called vulnerability. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I, you know, and, um, and I think, you know, for my personal standpoint with, with some of the things, uh, that I've chosen to do with my life, um, you realize pretty quick that 
you know, you might be the guy that stepped in it on the way in, right? Like, yeah. you, like you're looking around and saying somebody, somebody stepped in it and won my shoes. And then you look at your own, well, <laughs> sure enough, why can't we all laugh at it now that I'm <laughs> freaked out on everybody? I don't get it, you know? And it is one of these things where, and I think you get older and you realize that, you know, I mean, it takes a little bit of that. I mean, like I said, I've got now today two teenage boys at home who I get you on the, the physique thing where um, when I would go and work out, I kind of was like good. And, and now I'm just like not doing that as much. And you got two kids that are like, yo, you know, Pudge Master, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, so like I I hear your your pain on that. But um, yeah. I do think that um, that's really hard to do. And it's really hard when you have so much information coming at you that's kind of pushing you the other way. or Or it's giving you examples of – how not to do it, right? I mean, like, like these, we're, we, humans follow, you know, these things. And if we have folks who are, are, are doing that and, um, leading with a little bit of, um, you know, calmness and, and able to listen and vulnerability and, and things like that, um, then I think that, that they pick up on it and they see that, you know, I mean, it's just as simple as I was talking to my good friend, JW Wilson. Uh, we go to coffee like every week and, um, he's like, just being nice, you know, just like, just be nice. I mean, you know, they got those t-shirts and they yeah. used to have the mean people suck and, you know, like this kind of thing. And, and that means like genuinely being it, not being nice because I need something from you. That means right. that, you, you know, I walked into, um, fuzzies one day and they'd like write things on the board, uh, the one over on Camp Bowie. And there, I will never forget. It was like the holidays and I'm like stressed out, you know, and just typical holiday fashion and just like anxiety for no reason, just because fam is going to be around, you know, it's like things you should be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and the, the thing on the board said something along the lines, like, you have no idea what that, what anyone in here has been through today. So you might just consider smiling and being nice. You, you know, know, it's, it's really interesting what a smile can do though. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't see them with these masks. On no, the right now you can't. But your eyes, you can kind of yeah. see, you know. And, um, and, and, and that's the thing too, is, is, you know, we've reached a point in this country where people are in one of three camps, right? They're either in the left camp and can't tolerate the right, and or they're in the right camp, can't tolerate the left, and then you've got the, I, I don't have an opinion yet, and both sides are attacking, like, you have to make an opinion, you have to make mm -hmm. an opinion, and mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll go with this. Well, then they're angry at you because you didn't choose their side or, or mm -hmm. whatever else, mm -hmm. and, and it's really... It's really interesting how how this is going on around us because you're absolutely right. It's like what happened to just treating people like humans mm -hmm. that opening the door for someone, helping someone with their groceries, you know. Yeah. Of course, yeah. now you can't do that because you're worried about passing COVID and all, all all of that. But these very simple things. So, and and the reason I bring this up is um, about two, two, three years ago at the Fort Worth Club, they had the Junior Mentor Series. Mm -hmm. So they have about 75 to 100 uh, members that are under 40. And then they'll bring in, I think it was like six to eight of us that were clearly older than 40. And we're there to help mentor. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, everybody jokes around with the millennials of, you know, they everybody got a trophy generation, right? Well, when everybody on the panel, which would very, very impressive people talking about all the great things mm -hmm. got to me. I just looked around. And I was like, 
man, let me tell you how bad I've screwed stuff up, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just went into one thing yeah. after another. And then through the series over a couple of months, you'd be assigned a table. And the club encouraged the junior members to go meet with the mentors. Well, the club had come to me at what point and said, we've never had so many junior members go meet with a mentor like they have you. I was like, really? I thought this always went on. But they all started off with the same thing. Man, I am so scared to fail. Mm. I'm so scared to voice my opinion when it's different. And they said there was such a relief to see someone that has become as successful as you are. And you weren't talking about your successes. You were talking about your failures and how to lean into them, how to learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like often tell my daughter is like the first time you do something wrong, it's a learning opportunity. Now, if you repeat that same thing, then that becomes a mistake. And they said there was there was even some of them that ended up making some career changes mm -hmm. because they were they were just scared to live with this fear. Mm -hmm. And and I just said, look, it's okay. You're going to be just fine. Like Maggie being in college right now, everybody's like, what's she majoring in? Is you know, she's a sophomore? What is she yeah. majoring in? I'm like having a good time. Yeah, you know? for said, sure. What's your because to do? look, you're going to change whatever you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Pick something you find is going to be you know when you go for your undergrad. Go there to get the college experience. Go there to get an education. Learn how to learn. Yep. Right? But then if you find out what you're going to be passionate about, then go get a graduate degree in that. Mm -hmm. And then try to go figure it out. And trust me, when you turn 40, you might completely change everything going on yeah. then as well. But um, it's, we've lost that concept of it's okay to disagree. And it's one of the reasons why I don't tell people what direction. They make a lot of assumptions sure. on how I feel about things. And I'm like, look— I'm not sharing my opinion with you because me and a bunch of my friends and people before us and people after us took an oath to protect this country. And we all didn't agree with each other while we were in there. Mm -hmm. But nobody believes in peace more than the people that are willing to do violence on behalf mm. of this country because we're the ones that go in harm's way, not yeah. the people with the opinions. Yeah. So that's why I tell people, respect my ability to be private about my opinion, because what I don't want to do is I've got two friends. One's extremely liberal, one's extremely conservative, and they're always like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I just think that I want to be friends with both y'all. Mm -hmm. And by the way, each of y'all have your opinion, because of people like me. Yeah, yeah. Well, people like my friends that have, that have died in combat, and to me, even more harmful— Men and women that have come back missing legs, eyeballs, mm -hmm. fingers, and everything else mm -hmm. that are that are that are physically traumatized for the mm -hmm. rest of their life to be able to afford your 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 opportunity to do this. But it just seems like there's just this growing frustration, this growing anxiety. And I think you're right. I think technology has helped, or not necessarily the word help, but has contributed. Mm -hmm to the acceleration of that. Sure. And I mean, right? part of that is like just the, well, and thanks for your service. You know, I probably should Thanks have, for like, being worth it. it. You know, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. I've not heard that one, you know. Um, but, you know, the way that the technology thing works is that it, you know, one of my biggest 
like apprehensions about coming on here is like the permanence of it. Like this is going to be out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like once it goes out there, it doesn't go away, you it's know, forever. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is something, um, you know, even in the political environment, it's like you don't reduce certain things to writing and, you know, people there's, there was a lot done in a kind of a verbal discussion. It was before a lot of this. And, and look, you got to understand, I'm not saying we need to go back because we, you can't go back. What you realize really quick is even with a piece of legislation, if it cracks the door this much, it's going to open it, right? This is why people, they fight over really little tiny changes to, um, uh, to the laws of the land is because they know that if certain things happen, they can really open up. Like there's a lot of people who operate in the future and there's a lot of people who will come back and say, we tried this three sessions ago, it didn't happen. And then there's ones who are trying to kind of operate right now with what they're given. And I mean, I will say that um, I thought, oh, government's so boring, da, da, da. They're some of the most creative people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, like, really? oh, my gosh, to do the things that, you know, to get. And that works on the positive, too. It's not all the the dark arts, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> it works on the on the the good side, too. You know, the Luke Skywalker type stuff, you know, I mean, like it, like and people are, are very um, close to those changes they're making, too, which is which is sometimes a really refreshing thing that they're. They're all in, right? They're, they're, like all of their attentions are there, that kind of thing. Um, so like, like, and I don't know enough about this, so this is, this is not meant to be anything other than a question. Mm-hmm. And you having the experience you have in legislation and representing people getting elected and so forth is when I hear things, and, and it, only on my own ignorance because I've never really dove in to research it enough, probably because I— Probably didn't care up until about now. Yeah. Is you hear things like the second stimulus package is being delayed because one side of the fence is trying to put things in there that really don't have mm-hmm. anything to do with the stimulus. Mm-hmm. Is that wise? Because they're trying to open the door for something later down the road? Or, oh, yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. I think it comes in all forms. And what I think we often make the mistake of um, is the coordination of it. Like thinking that everyone, and I do this a lot too, and, and somebody, you know, I, I once tried to present this data solution and the person, it was in DC and they're like, what is this like navel gazing? Like what, what I don't get it. I mean, they were totally Mm -hmm. like, it was a fail moment, right? It was like, you're conflating these things, you know, and, and these words, what I mean is I tend to take, you know, like these things that exist out there and try to push them together somehow. Mm -hmm. And that is where the data stuff does work, right? Like, like if there's enough data here and data here, you can probably make a pretty good assumption that it, that it is the true existence of two entities or things or belief systems or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's a lot of misnomers. Then there's a lot of missteps that I've made doing that too, you know, and I get to get walked off the ledge a little bit because why that fear thing, right? Someone's going to do something. And if that person's talking to that person, they're probably talking to, you know, and, and it can create a really tough environment. And that was where I kind of found myself with that was just um, almost not in a realistic state, you know, just always like thinking about, geez, what if, what if these dominoes all hit like this? And then this kind of thing. And I do, you know, I did have one client at one time. He's like, oh, this Brittany, you know, we pay him to worry for us, you know, and he's right. I mean, I do, you know, tend to go through all of those exercises, but then I'm coming to a point in my life where it's like, you know, maybe things, just some things just happen and I have nothing to do with them. 
Mm-hmm. And no matter if I went and said, don't drink any more of that coffee in there, Jeremy. And you did anyway, like that would have nothing to do with like, you know, let's yeah. put it the other shoe. Why on. are you losing sleep over that? Yeah. yeah, yeah you know? Yeah. And so you do get a little bit um, further out there. And, and I think part of that is, um, and what is really, really difficult is this taming of the ego. Like the ego is a crazy thing, right? Like, I mean, the ego is what gets everyone in trouble, like yeah. no doubt. But what fascinates me with the ego is that the ego in my uh, personal experience is built solely on insecurity, right? Like the, the more insecure I am, the bigger my ego and that, you know, fear reaction gets. And I think that that, um, that's one of the craziest things ever, you know, how, how does somebody come across as being arrogant and self-confident who's filled with insecurity? Like, you know, it's like when yeah. your, your parents used to say, they just make fun of you to make themselves feel better. And it's like, how is that? But when you think about social media and you think about kind of consumerism, like all this stuff, there's no better ego feed. Yeah. Everybody looks better in pictures. Everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, like everybody can write eloquently if they can go back and have the ability to edit. I don't have the ability to edit what comes out of my mouth right now. I should work on that a little bit. <laughs> I've been told, you know, but see, and that's filter what, that. But, 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 but you know what I mean? That's the, that's the thing that we're losing when you talk about data, right? It's kind of like a. Um, when I did my MBA at TCU, we were doing finance yeah. classes, it, learning truly to appreciate what garbage in is garbage out, right? So if there's 10 points of view, but you only put in the four that match with yours, it doesn't mean necessarily that the other six were right, wrong, or mm-hmm. indifferent, but is that an accurate snapshot of what that piece of information is, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's where my fear mm-hmm. is that we are losing the ability to check the data for its accuracy because it wasn't skewed. What are your thoughts on that? So that's why I work with this software called Alteryx. Alteryx, big software. Tell me right? about you that. So Tell me about that's Alteryx. kind of where I'm moving from. What you just described became it. Look, shoe leather lobbying is always going to exist. You're not going to replace it with technology, even in in times like these, in my opinion. Relationships that are built, the way that legislators work as a body in discussion and debate, you're not going to be able to pull away from that. It's what I, I le- learned. So I, I built a platform um, with some of my money, some of somebody else's money, and Really, it was um, without really a customer in mind. You know, it was thinking that, man, if you, you know, I feel the dreams in it, you know, if you build it, it'll come. And it was, um, and I thought that it was going to be like the best things in slice. I mean, I'm already imagining that like Lear jetting around, you know, this kind of <laughs> thing, you know, like, I mean, I have an imagination, you know. Yeah. Um, so what I did was I tied, uh, uh, all of the ethics commission, the Texas has a, a repository of whose contributions go to who and lobby registers, things like that, to um, vote uh, data. Now, these are real hard data sets to get because the ethics stuff is good and it's in a database format. The vote stuff is not. It's in a journal format. And the death to data is like PDF, right? Anything in a PDF format is just is super hard to get. Yeah. But then you can tie them together. And so I found a, like a way to tie them together. And so I could kind of show um, a little bit of a cost per vote, if you will. But that takes a lot out of intent 
interpretation, like all of these things that you can't really quantify, you, you know, and what I've moved to is things you can quantify. What I've learned is in business, people have balance sheets and they have budgets and forecasts because you can quantify numbers, right? Those are mm-hmm. hard things. How much I spent and how much I did or didn't make, that's a hard thing. And data and this Alteryx software work beautifully for that because it's essentially like Photoshop for data. I mean, I, or it's like a, it's like a DAW digital audio workstation for data. So for my mind to like, just like going back to double K doing that mix deal, you can, Mm -hmm. you can Google it, right? Bringing all those sounds together. You can bring all disparate sources of data together and in a linear place, clean them, get them to match and do all of those things. And so this is a program that you built. Nope. This is one that's uh, anybody can go get off the shelf, but we're consulting around it. Um, So we just really uh, thought that there's a lot of businesses in this area that are small to midsize that are not um, as data sophisticated as some. There's some that'll that'll blow your mind and even governmental entities where it's like, God, how did you you guys have a really smart IT guys, uh, you know, or IT person who's built really, you know, succinct and great systems. There are a lot of people, though, who may have a nice shirt and pants on, but you go to my garage and you're like, whoa, what's going on with this guy? He's like, this is crazy. Like, he's got so much stuff and it's all discombobulated and all this. Well, a lot of people is what we're realizing at the same thing exists at work. They have, you know, they're operating, they're functioning, but the ones, their competitors who are really beating them are the ones who have their data straight, right? The ones who have a way of doing things aside from the CRM, you know, that, I mean, and some of the CRMs take really good care of them, but we're getting to a point where you should be able to do more with data than you've ever done before too, because of tools like this, because there's this ability to go and get not what the CRM wants you to get, but what you want to get from it. Like I would like to do these things. And you realize that Asking the questions is the most important part. You know, like the one thing I may not have had the technical ability um, to do all of the actual data merging and things like that that exist around Legendtel, but I was able to ask the questions, which I thought everybody wanted to know, but it was kind of clear and evident that not everybody's as into it as, you know, I may or may not be. Now, we are where we are, so that could very well change. But um, the thing is, is that... You know, you you learn from it and you learn also um, where working with those data sets to me becomes uh, because of the solution oriented nature of it. And I got people way smarter that I work with that help with that, too. It's not like, oh, you know, Brenton, this kind of salesy kind of guy is a real data cruncher, great, you know, data scientist. That's not the case. But there are, you know, these pieces of software that exist it's like people recording records at their house, right? Like you used to have to go to the studio and get the label to get you signed on and then go record this album. Well, if you look at the advent or like how much music is out there now, it's because people have all this stuff on their machines at home. They have They're access able, to it. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with data. So this is, a, this is the same thing. You've got the software, you go through, you do it, you show. I mean, we can show very quickly and easily what can be done. And a lot of it is the audio. So give me, give, give me a good example of that, of like, who is the consumer? Give me an example of a consumer. And then, is this what you're doing primarily now? Yep. Okay. So, and what's it? What's it? And I still do some governmental affairs stuff, you know, still, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So do you evolve from... Working at an ad agency, coming up, uh, um, helping with 
politicians and legislation and meet mm-hmm. and confer and and all, all these things. And then now it and just then seems the data like a, just took hold. Right? Yeah, it just you seems know? like because you were always dealing with data that it, it naturally progressed you to here. What's the name of your company that you're your recourse data recourse data? Yep. So with recourse data, if I'm a consumer, right, mm-hmm. um, paint me a picture of who am I as a consumer? Why do I come to you? Sure. When I pay for whatever that is, yep. what am I getting in return and how will that influence me? Okay, so yeah. we come in and typically it's people who um, – the really good customers are the ones who who know what they don't know, right? They, they know that somewhere in their, um, their day-to-day work lives, they're doing things. And typically it's like around tax and accounting or it can be around – spatial analysis. It can be it can be around a, a multitude of things in dealing with data. But there are times when the waves are too big, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I, I cannot get up. I'm going to it's going to close out on me, right? And they go through them and they manage to get through them with the nimble tools that they have. And they say never again. And then they find themselves again doing it. And where it really presents itself is when people have to hand it down to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you're going in and you're like, are you seriously still using this like paper ledger? Yeah. And it's when the new kids come, like when they want to grow their companies or they want to sell their companies, that kind of thing. So we go in, typically it, it happens in Excel and they, they go through and they've got these like horrendous V lookup, like all of these formulaic things existing. And it's kind of like the, the house of cards, you know, where they just, the one card and it knocks everything over and it, it's, it's brain drain. I mean, it is crazy. So give me, give me, a, give me a good example of maybe a, a, not necessarily the customer themselves, but the environment they were working in. And um, they came to you and said, this is my situation. Can you help with this? And you said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we go in there. Um, somebody's got a um, an Excel uh, spreadsheet with, let's just say, property values on okay. a real estate deal. Okay. They've got a bunch of appraisal data. Okay. All of that's public data. And it's in these huge data sets. And they are going in one at a time to look at values, to kind of do a self-comp, you know, their own comp mm-hmm. analysis. Well, we can extract all of that data at once and then start pulling it out from various ways. And then we can start matching that with other data that doesn't even have to be in that area. So for the real estate example, you've got an address. You say, I want a quarter mile radius of all the homes, the residential homes in that area, just from the tax roll standpoint. I from, look, from TAD? Yes. Okay. okay. I want to okay. look at it year over year, yep. what's going on, to give me a little bit of a sense of what's happening there. We've had folks who are doing all of that in Excel. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, yeah. and, and it's, it's quite maddening. And they're actually going and looking up in the appraisal district website individually, one at a time. Which is very time consuming, very painful. Well, yeah, we go back to what's your role in this? You know, are you supposed to be out selling these houses? Are you supposed to be out being the most knowledgeable realtor? Um, Or you, you know, but what this stuff can do if you're given the right information is make you smarter, right? Like all of a sudden your value goes up because, Oh, yeah, I know, you know, think about this. You're going to be able to go into neighborhoods and go, this is a good neighborhood. You know the reason? Because the property values went up like this. That means people are in there changing the So you're saving them the time. But I'm using a tool. But you're using a tool that that extrapolates the information, puts it in there, and then are you also helping them translate 
the information and what sure. it says? Yeah. So the nice thing is it can work a, a few different ways is that yeah. we can do that and furnish uh, information to them or we partnered with Alteryx so we can also help them uh, buy a license themselves and then help them get on board with it. Just like what happened to me. Yeah. I was doing all the stuff. I was giving it to a developer. The developer wanted to charge me every time I wanted the information. And I thought, boy, there's got to be a better and a different way, especially when I'm asking this many questions of it. Yeah. I'm having to go through a translator. I might as well just learn the language, right? Yeah. And I don't have to learn programming language. Like that is where I'm saying it's the Photoshop. I don't have to create, I don't have to go and have a photo lab and develop every picture anymore. Got it. I can bring a picture in that data and I'm able to go through and do it and it's extraordinarily intuitive it's like picture like i mean it's yeah. it's crazy i mean this stuff is it's really powerful and really good so let me tell you why i'm fascinated by this um i believe the real estate industry is so antiquated mm -hmm. even with its uses like for example texas is a non-disclosure state on what the sale of transactions are, right? Which a lot of people get confused. They're like, well, my tax appraisal says my house is worth this. I'm like, dude, look, tax appraisal and, mar and market data are two different things. And, but I'm, I am a information data junkie, right? Because I see the world in ones and zeros. And I believe that if you have true data, mm -hmm. the data doesn't lie. And we wanted to, differentiate ourselves from other real estate teams. And so now instead of typically you go, hey, so-and-so, you come to me and tell me what my house will sell for, and they'll pull up the last six months of data, mm -hmm. and they'll put it in a CMA, a PDF format, and then, you know, put in the little filters, and this is what your, this is what your house will trade for. And I... I really got annoyed by that mm -hmm. because I'm always looking where are the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So starting a couple of years ago, what I started doing is instead of sending the clients a CMA, I pull four years worth of data in each of the sheets, put in some formulas where it gives them more of an accurate picture and because it's got the filters in the sheet, I'm like, look, if you think I pulled in all the data, mm -hmm. now I use the filters yep. that show more likely on yours, but now it's adding integrity to the process. Because mm -hmm. if somebody goes, well, why was this one trading for higher square footage? I'm like, it was also 1,500 square foot smaller. Yeah. If you look at the ultimate trade value, what that sure. house was. And they're like, oh, so you can explain why the data is the data or why we use the filters. But it also allowed us to look at opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I give you a prime, two prime examples. One client was moving from out of state here, was looking at an area in Keller, and I pulled all the data where then, you know, you could shrink it down to which one was closer. In that particular neighborhood they were looking in, I said, look, Keller is going through the roof, but whatever's going on in this neighborhood, it's actually declining. Mm -hmm. And the numbers don't lie. And I said, and people are selling every two years. I said, I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on that when someone sure. moves there, could it be a standard deviation of a coincidence that everybody moves that neighborhood, gets transferred every two years? Sure. There's always that standard deviation. I said, but if you look at the information as a whole, 
I said, so I would shy away from that neighborhood because if this data serves to be true over the next four years, you're going to sell it for less than what you bought it for. Mm-hmm. Right. Then on another opportunity, a good friend of mine I did my MBA with lived in a pocket neighborhood and not a lot of sales, but when they did sell houses that were updated, were trading in multiple offers and they were trading in like minutes. Mm-hmm. So even though a regular CMA said his house would have only been worth X, I looked at him and I said, I think you can get Y or higher. Sure. And he's like, but, but none of them had done it. I said, look, this is more than just this. This is the willing. Here's the funny thing about the market, right? You have an appraiser that comes in that protects the bank mm-hmm. and says this property is worth this. We learned all that after the bubble in 2008, naturally. Mm-hmm. But you also, a part of the market that's really interesting is you have people that are willing to pay more and they're willing to say, I'll waive whatever appraisal difference because I really want this neighborhood and I really want this house. Yeah. The data showed us that people really wanted that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And the data showed us that they were already overpaying for it when they came in. So I said, let's list it at this. And I think because I wanted to trigger multiple offers because I was looking at that data. Mm -hmm. And I said, and here's what I think we're going to hit. And he said, there's no way we can get that for this house. I said, just what do you got to lose? And he said, nothing. He was being transferred back to a family company. Mm -hmm. He was being brought back there to be the new president of the company. So we did it. And it was multiple offers. And one agent who I think is a very good agent reached out and said, there's no way that sure. it could be this. And I said, it is. Mm-hmm. And I even sent her the spreadsheet. But because she's been so conditioned to look at a CMA, it just was like yeah. mind-blowing, yeah. right? Just went right over her head. And she was just like, there's just no way. So sure enough, we did. We took an offer that waived appraisal, and they got tens of thousands of dollars more than what they expected to get for their house. Mm-hmm. That they had only lived in less than three years. Yeah. And he was just like, holy cow. So now what that has done is from that point, we've evolved into a process where we have a spreadsheet and mm-hmm. we've taught the team to extract the data, to put it in there. And we've even evolved it more where it's even cleaner, where if you don't want to look at all the ones and zeros, just look at the first tab yep. and it'll give you this is it and why. And then as much as you want to dive down that rabbit hole, you, you're more than welcome because here's here's all the data. But what it was doing is we were creating an, an integrity to the process to say, I'm not just going to show you four out of 10. So that way you do what I want you to do. I'm going to show you all 10, but I'm going to show you why I think this. Sure. And the trust of the, of the consumer is going through the roof because they're like, man, no one's ever shown me all the data. Because like, what are you doing? You're yeah. showing them the good and the bad. Right? Showing the good. You're the not bad. just saying yeah. this is a nice ceiling. This is like yeah. you're saying something's going on in this neighborhood. So I, I'm fully on board with like you know, start looking at permitting data. Start looking everything going on in that right. Like yeah. get as much of the whole picture as you can. And I guarantee you that um, I guarantee I can make it a cleaner and simpler way of doing it than you're doing it now. Like I, there's just the way uh, that this sim- software sim- works. Sim- yeah, I'm gonna make a note here. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, call. 
Brenton. Yeah, and the way that it and is. <laughs> save just, us more time. <laughs> sure. Well, you just run through. And what I like is it's very flexible in that yeah. some people, they're not willing to give up their data. There's some people yeah. that come in this podcast and they're like, I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you. And that's okay, right? Yeah. And for that exercise, there are that's there's ways around that. If you want to hold on to all of it, if you want to yeah. anonymize it so we can do a workflow, like whatever. But the the deal is, is that um, you got to get control of your data because the guys who are winning right now, they got real good control of their data. Well, and there's and there's something to be said about this, right? So the real estate industry is so antiquated where this is going to sound like a crazy number. I think that in five years, 85% of licensed agents will be out of a job, mainly because of what technology is doing. Mm-hmm. And agents have lost the trust of the consumer. And what COVID did show us is that technology that we thought we had wasn't as good as it sure. really was. Yeah. So someone is sitting in a basement coding right now, creating something that will fill that gap mm-hmm. where you are going to have to have still some boots on the ground to go out here and do things. But when we we saw this before COVID mm-hmm. and we knew we wanted to build a brand around trust is the currency of business. And that's why you come to us because People lost the trust for a lot of agents, but they used them because they just didn't have time. Yeah. Well, COVID created a gap of, wait a minute, now I had time to go learn this stuff. Mm-hmm. And someone's going to write a code that saves people time. So we were like, look, you can come to us because what you're going to get is you're going to get the truth. Yeah. Right? That's yep. why you come to us. If yes. you're looking to be told what you want to hear, go to the next team mm-hmm. or go to Zillow, go to wherever. Mm-hmm. But we're here to tell you. This is what it is, and the data doesn't lie. And when you create a brand around integrity, then that becomes huge. And creating a brand around, guess what? We're not just saying that the client is the most important. We're demonstrating that the client is the most important, Mm -hmm. right? Building that trust. And so that's why we – I love – what you're doing and uh, when you and I were talking a couple weeks ago and I was like you got to come on my show and you're like oh I got like 50 things to talk about and I says well I can actually see you being a repeat guest on here because this is stuff people really want to listen to and learn more about because we've now crossed that threshold as like you said we're not going back Mm -mm. right we're moving forward and there's so much ambiguity on what that frontier looks like sure that people with your business are going to be in even more of a high demand where even, okay, you can mine the data for me, which saves time, but I don't even have time to learn how to translate it where I can see where you're going, okay, this is. Well, and it works well because there's a lot of public data and that's kind of where I came from, right? Yeah. You, you like to have the ability and knowledge to know how to kind of find some stuff at a public level and I mean, it's just that understanding, kind of that civics lesson that we talked about before is, I mean, it's really important. You know, people should know how um, governments work. I mean, and and study that and believe that for themselves, not what they're being told, what government is doing to them in a kind of a shape-shifting manner, but to really to go and and understand it. Look, I mean, our city and our county, they meet every week. You know, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing um, that, you know, that folks, you know, they can they can tune in. I mean, if, if we're in COVID times or at home where they can, they can watch. And I think more and more people are doing that in this time. You know, I mean, I, I think this has provided a really good slowdown and prioritization for a lot of folks. Uh, yeah. With that. What I call a fake parenting. Yeah. So, you know, now you saw everybody out 
because I couldn't go anywhere, riding a bicycle with, with little Sally, throwing yeah. the ball with little Johnny, doing mm-hmm. the nightly walks. People get mad when I call it fake parenting. I was like, look, here's the deal. The reason I say this is you didn't do that before. You're doing it now. It's not fake parenting if you continue it when sure when you go back to work. Yep. Yep. Then it doesn't become fake parenting. And by the way, don't become a fake parent because you will have really just confused the world out of your children. Oh, went, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. You weren't really around to do these things. Then you were for a small period. And so you teased them, right? Because people want that attention. They want that be nice. They want to have that interaction mm-hmm. no matter what technology is. Yeah. So with you being involved in politics for whatever, 20 years now, right? Hmm. Yeah. God, boy, that's, ooh, I boy, that hair. just started dating. Date. Yep. I saw that yeah. little look of like, <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm dated a little sure, bit in that. Sure. Where we are as a country right now, right? And, I, and I'm not looking to get the perspective of the left or the right or the mm-hmm, center or mm-hmm. anything else. It's just after you being on this planet for almost half a decade now, right? <laughs> right around there. Yep, yep. What are you now? Almost, no, it's 47. So 47, right? Yeah. You're almost, you're, you're right there Teetering. with me. That's yeah. right. You're okay. Yeah. So you're 73. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and I are the same age. Um, so where we are as a country right now, um, are, are we going to move forward out of this? Yeah, I, you know, no doubt, right? No doubt. I mean, look, change is hard, right? Like, like self-change, it's not easy. Like, there's this great song uh, by a guy named Jason Isbell, and it's, it's called, uh, you know, it's something to the extent of um, it ain't easy, but it's easier, you know? Like, like, these things are not easy. I mean, and, you know, we are always being told that it's easy. It, people amaze me in that they're so demanding, but they want to do so little for it, myself included. You know, I want the world. Remember, I tell you, I was going to be on a jet, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how are you going to get there? I don't know. It's just going to happen. Like, it's just going to happen, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so I do think that, um, you know, I have great faith in humanity that it will prevail. I mean, I, I really do. And that we will, I mean, this is all very new. Like, you think about where we were. In college with technology, like it didn't exist. Like, like this thing is happening so fast. And I think that we're, we're forced in times like these to look at, all right, what's working for it in some ways and what isn't. And it, I mean, it's hard. Like these machines are all Mm -hmm. around us all the time, you know, and we're not like at our house, these like uber strict parents. I mean, we allow our kids to be on it because they socialize, you know, I mean, this is a big part of their, their social makeup and stuff. What amazes me is their um, behaviors and how much closer to home they stick than they were before. I mean, when I was 15, I was like, you know, <laughs> I can't down get the days till I was 16 oh, to get my no, I was license. in with other, I was like, could you get a hardship permit? Cause then we could be cruising around. <laughs> it's like, I'm only 13. It's like, well, get on it, man. Like, we yeah. can do this. You know, yeah. I mean, I had to get out of there as fast as I could. I couldn't stand to be it. So I do think there are things that are good about it, you know, just yeah. the presence of having your kids around a lot more and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think we'll get through, we're hitting some rough waters right now, but you know, mm. like anything else, man, the sun rises again, the, yeah. you know, the, the ocean calms down a little bit. Um, I'm a big surfing fan. So I put a lot of those analogies so around there. I have a meeting on the second Tuesday of each month, uh, with my entrepreneurial organization forum. So there's nine of us that are business owners and we get together and we do our thing once a month. And we generally meet at the Capitol Grill down here in downtown Mm -hmm. Fort Worth, which by the way, if you need to go to a restaurant that has absolute great service, they do a great job. 
of service. So uh, we finished up because Tuesday was Marine Corps birthday and I was mm-hmm. waiting on one of my Marine Corps buddies and his wife to go ahead and just meet me there so that way we could have a drink or two mm-hmm. and then figure out what we were going to go do yeah. from there. And so I was talking to the bartender and, and and anyhow, her name is Crystal. She's always bartending up at her age. Just super, super nice. And uh, something had popped up on the TV on the news, and I could see her just kind of shake her head. And I said, yeah. I said, it's uh, it's kind of a turbulent time we're in. She goes, it really is. And I said, you know, because we're at that point now is Biden's declared to be the winner. Trump is not conceded yet. We've got, what is it, 17 states of lawsuits to recount the votes. Nobody really knows. They have assumptions yeah. and all this craziness. And she looks at me and she said, what do you think about all this? I said, you know, I think we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And here's why. If there's anything that this country, since we became a country, since we made that decision to become a country, mm-hmm. is we prevailed, right? We're tenacious. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we, we're we're going to figure it out, right? It's not going to yeah. come sometimes without some bumps and bruises. But I said, there's been worse times than right now. Mm-hmm. Go back to the Civil War, right? I mean, that was set to tear this country in half, Mm -hmm. and we survived it. Yeah. And then thrived from that. That's why I look at folks and go, it it could be a lot worse. Now, you've got some of the doomsday people that are like, that's where we're heading. And I'm like, I don't really see that, but I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. But I do believe that as a country, whether it's the next two days, two weeks, two months, two years, Mm -hmm. 20 years, we will come out better because of this. Because in my opinion is when transitions happen, like you said, people don't like change. And there's change going on that is going to take us to do things different mm-hmm. and be different. And we're going to look back on 2020 and go, wow, that was the year that things really started. That, you know, where we are 20 years after now is like, man, that really started in 2020. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So, well, I, I love to always end by, I mean, you've had a journey that when you, from college to ad agencies to legislation to a, a data company, a lot of evolving and changing. Mm. If you could go back to 22-year-old self and say, I, if you don't listen, because there's a million things we would tell 22-year-old self and 22-year-old self got about the attention span to listen to one thing. Hmm. What is that one thing you say? If you don't do anything else, either do or don't do this, what would that be? What would you tell yourself? Uh, I'd probably say to go and look up the definition of what I find, you know, to be one of the most powerful words in the dictionary, which is grace, right? Like it's this ability um, to, to let go, right? Like to simply take it and, and, keep your composure and do it. I don't know if you've ever tried to surf. I mean, I I've tried multiple times and I love it. I mean, there's something about it, but 
um, surfing is hell on earth when you're paddling out to, mm -hmm. to get away. Like, is, so there's fear. There's all of these things that replicate life. And the most, one of the most graceful things in the world is watching somebody ride a wave. I mean, like, they're, like, in total harmony with what I think about this. You know, you talked about the giving up some things along the way, which I've done. Well, what I got with that was I got like my mornings and evenings back, right? You know, I mean, these most beautiful times of the day. Like, I mean, there are so many things that if I had just, and and I don't know why I was holding on to so much for so long. You know, I just, I was, and, and a lot of it was like self-doubt and rejection, like all of these things. And it's like, just let it go. Like, it's going to be all right. Like, stop. You're breathing. You know, we're talking. It's going to be okay. Like, this is a great, you know, thing that I think you're doing. And, uh, I mean, I think that um, that I think if we had more folks, if, you know, not like do it my way kind of thing, but just to, to let go of, of some of this stuff. I mean, and especially the stuff in my in my world is like that I couldn't control, right? You know, there were so many things that they just weren't part of my, you know, video game, right? Like they were other players in there. Like, I mean, I can't control that stuff. So I guess let to let go. You got to also keep in mind at 22 years old, you know, I was living in a tiny apartment over on the west side of Fort Worth. <laughs> like those nights look, the Friday nights look like a 12 pack of beer in Tomb Raider and then begging <laughs> my wife to like read the guide while she told me, you know, what to do with it. So I yeah. mean, it was a different time for me too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But well, that, that would be it, you know. That's great, man. Well, so how does the audience find you? I mean, naturally, we're going to put this yep. on the website, myexperiencerealtor.com, yeah. sure. and they can go and download this I episode. think LinkedIn's the easiest. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not the cleanest on, like, that image department. You know, I yeah. got, like, some of my, like, LLCs that exist out there. But um, recourse data, I mean, they can just, like, do that. But then um, I still have uh, the governmental affairs stuff that I do uh, from time to time, too. But the the data stuff is just, it's real A to B, you know. It's yeah. just, it's cleaner. And so. Um, so they go on there, Brenton Payne, recourse data. Yep. Uh, yep. And then pulls up, send you a direct message. Yeah, I'm just me an info. Yeah. But LinkedIn yeah. is probably the best. I mean, LinkedIn. I think everybody probably on your audience is probably on LinkedIn to a certain extent. And then, okay. you know, I, uh, I hang around downtown a lot. And yeah. so <laughs> you, 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 people know where to find me, you know, so even amongst these times. So thank you very much, Jeremy. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for yeah. sharing. And man, I, I feel like I got an education <laughs> out of this of things. And that's, that's been the, that's probably been one of the biggest gratitude things I've had doing this podcast is, the folks that have come on that I've known for a long time that I thought I knew everything about, I'd learn something new that yeah. just goes, man, this is what makes, this is what makes it cool. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's a great format, you know, and I commend yeah. you for like diving in and doing it. Well, thanks again for yeah, coming. Thanks, bro. Jeremy. Appreciate it. Can we shake hands? Yeah. Yeah. Did <laughs> yeah. great? All right. Thank you. Yeah. I was yeah.